Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. One in six New Zealand adults have been diagnosed with a common mental disorder at some time in their lives. This includes depression, bipolar disorders and anxiety disorders. One man committed to supporting those in need is Sir John Kerwin, or JK as he's known, a former New Zealand All Black Rugby Union player and professional rugby coach. The former All Black and 1987 Rugby World Cup winner became a Sir in 2012, joining a list that includes other well-known former All Blacks. However, unlike many of his fellow All Blacks, JK was recognised as much, if not more so, for his contribution outside of rugby, having been for several years at the forefront of campaigns to heighten public awareness of depression and illness he has personally suffered from at the peak of his rugby playing days. John's services to mental health include the introduction of the Sir John Kerwin Foundation, created to deliver mental health awareness for kids, teachers, parents and the wider community, as well as the creation of a new app called Mentimia, full of evidence-based ideas and tools to help users learn how to be well, stay well and cope with the stresses of everyday life. Tune in this week as I speak with JK about his life experiences with depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation, the stigma surrounding mental health and learning how to thrive as an all-black of mental health and well-being. Hello listeners and thanks for joining us today. It gives me a great pleasure to introduce Sir John Kerwin or JK uh, as you like to be uh, called to or referred to. JK, thanks very much for joining me on the show. No worries. Good to, good to chat. How you doing? How you doing? Where are you? Where are you based? You're in, in Sydney, in, are you? No, I'm in uh, northern New South Wales. So uh, I'm sort of out of the uh, the COVID area uh, here in Australia. Wow. Um, so things aren't too bad, quite normal up here. But, uh, mate, you're in Auckland at the moment, are you? Yeah, we've just gone back into uh, sort of level three. So, yeah, yeah, work from home, bit of a bit of a stressful time for people, you know. People suffering from quite a bit of anxiety, just uh, sort of going backwards is never a nice thing for anyone so going back into lockdown seems a bit stressful Mate, it must be so tough and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that and and um what you're seeing not only in new zealand but um some challenges you're seeing around the world at the moment as well uh for someone who's so active in mental health um JK, a leader in many aspects of life uh, a hero to many people and someone who's been extremely active in advocating for mental health uh, and when i actually uh, contacted a mental health professional in New Zealand to ask uh, about you. They said, in their opinion, you blew open the door for the discussion of mental health for men in New Zealand uh, when you shared your lived experience of depression and also publishing a book 
who knew an all black could have a mental illness. Um, and they also mentioned that they remember, I think, that you were given a national award for your work in mental health, but they believe that you said it was more meaningful than your recognition as an all black, uh, which surprised many people. JK, tell us a little bit about, um, if, we go into, if we go into your story, actually, before we go on this story, do you just want to let us know a little bit about your hobbies to break the ice? Oh, sure, yeah. I'm a very, very keen surfer. So um, I've surfed, got my first surfboard when I was seven. Uh, I haven't spent as much time as I would like in the water just for life in general. But, yeah, really keen surfer. Um, I've recently taken up the guitar because wow. uh, I have I have what they call a monkey brain. You know what a monkey brain is? <laughs> Mate, I, I think I do. Uh, I think it's it's that part of your brain that wants to take over and keep you busy. Is that right? Or yeah, no, that's right. So, like, um, I, I very early in the piece when I was unwell, um, I tried meditation and I tried you know slowing the whole uh, sort of mind down and that sort of stuff. But I've got a ruminating mind. I've got a monkey brain. I call my monkey Bob, and he just takes off. Yeah. Right. So. Um, Meditation's not for me. If you can do meditation, you should. It's awesome. It's a great technique. Um, you know, and so is yoga and a lot of those other things. It just didn't suit me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm an active relaxer, right? So my hobbies are um, disengaging Bob the monkey, which is surfing's amazing. Um, I love swimming. I've just taken up the guitar. Um, sounds like I'm murdering a cat in the lounge. I'm useless <laughs> at it, but... It Mate, certainly do, unplugs the brain. During lockdown, you know? how does the rest of the family find that during lockdown? <laughs> oh, they weren't happy. <laughs> weren't happy. But um, I enjoy cooking um, as a hobby. And also, I don't know if it's a hobby, but I love reading as well. I know you spend a, a part of your life each year, or you try to, in a typical year in Italy. Do you, Is there surfing where you are um, living in Italy? No. Well, there okay. was. I surfed at the entrance to the Menace Lagoon once. Oof. Well, I've surfed there three times, actually, when I was living over there. Yeah, my wife's Italian. In fact, she's back there at the moment. And my son lives in Italy, and my wife's gone back to look after her parents who are elderly. So oh, no. that's, uh, that's a bit of a tough one also for COVID, you know? Mate, that would be tough. Because, I mean, Italy's been through some really tough times over there, especially for the elderly. Is that correct? Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, um, they've uh, yeah, they've really been, really been through it. You know, I want to touch base uh, around that and the family and being apart, which must be tough during COVID. Um, but if we go to the second H, I want to ask you about, which is heroes. Uh, someone who is a hero to many. It's really interesting to ask you this question. Um, who are the people that have really helped uh, you throughout your journey, uh, whether it's personal, professional, in your life? I guess my dad was my biggest hero, um, incredibly, and my mum, incredibly wise man and um, woman, my mum and dad, and I guess he was my biggest hero, you know, he was um, really influential in my life and really important at times when I needed him. Um, and then I think from a sporting point of view, my childhood hero was a guy called Sir Brian Williams, who was one of the greatest wingers to play for, you know, for uh, New Zealand. But I think, you know, that heroes um, thing is interesting because I look for, I look for heroes and inspiration every single day. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I look for those things as part of my as part of my mental health. So I'm reading a lot and I'm looking for real positive people who influence. And I think the interesting thing for me is I've just been listening to a really um, beautiful song by by Dave Grohl. It was on the Howard Stern show. And it was really interesting because a hero of mine passed away last week. His name was Andy Hayden. And he was very influential in my life. And we ended up being friends. Um, but this David Grohl song says, you know, there goes my hero, watch him as he walks on play, ordinary. And I think that the beautiful thing about some of the people who I would regard as heroes that I've met are just normal people doing extraordinary things. And I think that's really cool. Now that's really interesting. Uh, and sorry for the passing of your, of your friend uh, and your hero uh, last week. Um, but I uh, and that song, uh, I'll look that up when I uh, when we finish the podcast. Tell me uh, the next hate I want to ask you. The third out of the four is the highlights. What have been? I mean, someone who's been, uh, I mean, done so much not only on the on the rugby field but also um, off the rugby park. Tell me what are some of the highlights uh, in your life that you as you reflect back on? That's, that's really it's, that, that's a really really interesting question because for me. Um, as part of my mental health, I've really taught myself just to live for the day. It's like I haven't played rugby at all. I don't look in the past wow. much, um, which is really interesting, eh? So sometimes I think, gee, did I do that? Um, so some of my highlights in the past were obviously uh, making the All Blacks yeah. and, um, and then winning various things, which... Uh, were important to me as a rugby player. So, you know, we won, won the Rampley Shield, won the World Cup. Um, I won a championship in Italy after many, many years that I've been trying. That was really interesting. But I guess highlights also uh, meeting and marrying my wife um, and then having three beautiful children. We had some, uh, you know, we had some very difficult times as well. We lost a few babies so that was pretty sad so you know healthy kids um and then i think one of the hardest things i did was talk about my mental health back in the day and then really one of my highlights has been the uh, awareness and lately uh, the conversation really um, taking hold and people starting to realize that mental well-being is the future, I believe, and especially in business. Um, you know, I think that if if you want to look after your people, if you want to retain great people, if you want great productivity, et cetera, et cetera, then it is through looking after the mental well-being of your people. So I guess those are some of the highlights. Now we're having these conversations around mental health. When I started 15 years ago, it was not really spoken about too much. No, and that's something that, uh, I mean, you've got a lot of admiration uh, from many people around the world f for doing, and I definitely want to ask you about that as well. As we as we move to the last H, the uh, hardships, um, uh, I mean, what's, what's something in your life that you've had to overcome? Um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, what's... Yeah, well, a, a medical, I mean, a medical depression. Yeah. Um, you know, that was living hell. Um, and one of the hardest single things I've ever, ever done, ever experienced, ever had to get through. Um, and 
desperate at times. So for me, that was probably the biggest challenge or hardship. I've never really, I feel very fortunate in my life. I've never really had hardships from a financial point of view or physical point of view. So really my um, life-changing moment was around my mental health. And then I think, you know, from a professional point of view, I've had the sack from jobs and stuff like that, which is, you know, rugby jobs, which was pretty devastating at the time, but really irrelevant compared to a mental health challenge. So I recovered from those other, what you might call, you know, disappointments really quickly. Tell us about growing up and uh, the culture of mental health uh, in New Zealand. I mean, you grew up in New Zealand. You're a son of a butcher. Your dad, who you mentioned, was a hero of yours, hardworking man. Um, tell us about mental health as growing up in New Zealand. Was it something that was spoke about? Uh, one of, yeah, it's a bloody great question, mate, because for me, um, I've also, as you know, I've created a, uh, I've, I'm a co-founder of a, of a company called Mentimia, which is delivering uh, digital mental health into the business space yeah. um, because we don't want the end user to pay. So some of the things that I learned um, when I was incredibly unwell and just surviving to thriving today, uh, the tools and techniques, we want to deliver those digitally in an incredibly engaging way into the workplace. But the second thing I'm doing, I have a JK Foundation, um, which we've raised um, about $1.2 million and we are building a, a curriculum for the schools because when I was growing up, getting back to your original question, yeah. my reference to mental health was one flow of the cuckoo's nest, right? Yeah. Um, and I can laugh about that now but back then I was so scared to talk to someone because I thought someone would come around, lock me up with Jack Nicholson and the chief, the big American Indian guy, right? Yeah, put you um, in a straight jacket. But that was my reference. Yeah, yeah, that was my reference, man. So we had no reference. I mean, I didn't find out till Dad passed away that he had what they would call a nervous breakdown. Now, what we would call, you know, anxiety attacks and that sort of stuff. And he had to go to our uncle Rangi's farm in Dannyburg. You know, Mum had postnatal depression. Uh, went to the doctor in 1964. She had it after me, and the doctor said, "Take up smoking and take Valium." You know, I mean, far out. And, and so. I had no reference. It was, and this is one of the other things that I'm really passionate about. I want us to change the dialogue because mental health, mental well-being dialogue is all steeped in negativity. You know, when I talk about my monkey brain, when I talk about my sharks, when I talk about these other things, because I have this real drive to change the dialogue because mental health dialogue is steeped in negativity and really falsities. I don't know if falsity is a word, but I'll take it. You know, it's, it's just, some of the stuff is just not true. And so I didn't grow up with any awareness of mental health. And one of my passions today through the foundation is neither are our kids, Yeah. right? Um, and so I really want to try and educate it. Well, I definitely want to talk more about that and all that great work you're doing with the foundation and Mentimia for sure. Um, but as we as we go back to, I mean, you uh, you went from playing third grade in 83 to – uh, being a World Cup winner and a professional athlete, I think that was 87. Um, tell me about the pressures of being a professional athlete. I mean, is this something that was being spoke about back then? And if not, is it something that's now being part of what's going on in that circle? 
Well, I think the pressures on me were way less than the modern player. Yeah. Um, so I was never a professional until the very end of my career. I, I went professional at 30 and I went and played for the Warriors. So I think that um, the pressure on us was uh, more internal than external. Yeah. So the pressures that we would put on ourselves um, were way less than the modern athlete. Yeah. One of my other passions is is to really look after the modern athlete because I think the pressures that they are under, as are our youth with with social media, with um, you know expectations, with all those types of things, I think it's way more difficult for them. But I think where my pressure came from was um, mine was internal. You know, yeah. I had all these sharks that I talk about, um, you know, that were circling that I had to deal with. So mine were very, very internal. I mean, I had some great times as well. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I had an absolute ball in between, um, you know, in between having anxiety attacks and, yeah. and um, you know, trying to deal with all those other things that were going on in my mind. JK, when you refer to sharks, are you talking about like um, uh, different thoughts that come in your head? Are you talking about personalities, like are you like referring to the monkeys, similar to Bob? Are you? To- is it- I'll tell you, yeah, yeah, Sam. I'll tell you the story if you if you don't if you don't mind. So, I, like, I wanted to jump out of a window one night in Buenos Aires. I'm on an all black tour. Um, I'd been hiding my mental health and my anxiety attacks. I was an anxiety based depression. So my anxiety attacks turned into a full depression. I didn't know this at the time. I just thought I was, you know, heading towards Jack Nicholson and and the chief. So, um, you know, what happened was I'm lying in bed. I've just finished an anxiety attack. The window's open and I'm thinking, stuff this. I'm going to run and jump out. And the guy lying next to me said, JK, you've got a good heart. Now, he doesn't know why he said it. Um, I don't know why he said it. Um, We talk about it. You know, we're still great mates. His name's Sir Michael Jones. Um, and he's very religious, and he he believes that God told him to tell me, which I think is very beautiful, wow. um, if you believe that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. But I think what happened was I played a test match for my country the next day and um, and was like living in a dream. I was like watching myself from the stand. I scored two tries. Wow. Um, irrelevant, not important. Can't even remember too much about them. But I finally got home and reached out to get help. Right? You know who I reached out to? This is really interesting. This is, when you're, back in, this is when you're back in Auckland now? I get back, yeah, I get yeah. back 48 hours, 56 hours later, whatever it was, play yeah. the test match, finish, flew out, get home. Um, get home and I reach out firstly to my family and then they say, you better go and see your doctor. So I reach out to my doctor. You know who my doctor is? My doctor is Dr. John Mayhew, who was my all-black doctor. I wouldn't even talk to him on tour. I waited till I got home, you know? Incredible. Oh. So anyway, they, they, uh, he says, look, JK, this is called anxiety and depression, and um, it's a thing. And that gave me some relief straight away because firstly, I didn't think I was going nuts. Yeah. Second thing is he says we can get some help. Right, so the first person I went to wanted me to be a volcano. JK, you've got all this power inside you. You're a volcano. I don't want to be a bloody volcano, you dick. <laughs> I just want to get well, you know. So, so, so the first person, and I'm sure the volcano guy helped a lot of people, but he just wasn't for me, right? Yeah. But that moment there, that moment there, actually set, set me back 
quite badly mentally back then. You know, like I said, I can laugh about it now. Yeah. But then I thought, shit, I've reached out for help. And I didn't connect with this guy. But anyway, the second person I went to was a woman called Dr. Louise Armstrong. And she was amazing, right? So she said to me when I sat down, she said, uh, JK, if you had a tight hamstring, what would you do? And I said, well, you know, I'd stop and stretch. She said, okay, you've stopped and stretched it. Then you get up and you run. And it gets really, really tight. And I said, well, I'd stop, I sit and go to the physio. She said, well, your brain's no different, you dick. <laughs> you know? And I'm going, wow, this is really cool. I've got a, I've got a hamstring in the head. What's the ice? Yeah. Right? And who's the physio? Yeah. So I accepted my illness and started working on it. But anyway, um, the next session I went to, she said, JK, um, so I was on antidepressants. And she said to me, JK, look, if you want to get through this, you can't just let the antidepressants um, fix you. They'll give you some balance, but you need to start working on your illness. And I said, I'm up for that. What would you like me to do? She said, well, firstly, you need to learn how to breathe. And she taught me how to breathe properly. And I've been breathing properly for years. And, and it actually is the first way I attacked my anxiety attack. And the second thing she said to me was, would you like to hypnotize yourself? And I go, self-hypnotism, wow, that's a bit weird, but I'll give that a crack. Let's go. So anyway, she said, what do you love doing? Now, this is this is a really important part because anxiety depression does three things. It takes away your self-esteem, it takes away your self-confidence, and it takes away your enjoyment in life. So I had no confidence, I had no self-esteem, and I didn't enjoy anything in my life. And that's that, that's a pretty sad place to be, right? Yeah. So I said to her, look, I used to love surfing, but I went surfing and I came out and I hated it, had no joy from it, sent me back because I couldn't enjoy something, blah, blah, blah. She said, okay, well, in your mind, I'll take you surfing. So anyway, she you know, do this breathing exercise, I do this thing with my arm. She takes me down into this, um, you know, into this hypnotism and then she says, okay, put your board shorts on, run down the beach, you know, run down the beach paddle out two to three foot perfection, surf like a bloody surf god. And she brings me out of it and I feel better because also with anxiety and depression, it's like having a, a vice on your head or a cloud over you all the time. And that was gone and I felt great. And I went home that afternoon and I said to my girlfriend, who's now my wife, I'm going to try that. So I went upstairs um, early that evening and I tried it, you know, did the breathing, did the thing with my arm, put my board shorts on, grabbed the longboard, ran down the beach, paddled out, two to three foot perfection, four sharks in the water. Mm. Shat myself and straight out. Right? And I'm going back to him and saying, now, I don't know if you've ever had an anxiety attack or ever been in the water with a shark, but it's just pure fear. And that's what anxiety was, right? Yeah. So the only way I could describe that was shark, shark in the water. I went back to him and I said, what the hell was that? And she said, well, JK, they're your sharks. And what you need to do is you need to identify them get the teeth out of them and get out, out of the water. So one of my sharks was, I felt dumb, right? I had never passed an exam in my life. I got told I was dumb at school. Um, my mates told me I was dumb and I felt dumb, right? So do you think I'm dumb, Sam? I don't think you're dumb. No, but it didn't matter, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter because it was my shark and I had to deal with it, right? Yeah. So... What I did is I went straight back into the education system that had failed me in the past and failed again, which set me back. Yeah. But that journey, what it did tell me was I'm a little bit on the dyslexic scale. I think very differently. 
right? Um, and I'm not dumb, but I'm not educated. So what I decided to do about that shark was, luckily I can read and I love reading, and I sort of taught myself to concentrate and read, and that keeps Bob the monkey happy, and I can also chill out and read and educate myself. The second shark I had was an imposter syndrome. So I scored a try um, against Italy in 1987. I ran the whole length of the field. I came off the field. I came off the field thinking, when is the coach going to find out that I'm just lucky, I'm not good enough? Yeah. You know, when is my luck going to run out? Right? So I just didn't believe in me having any ability. I thought I was just lucky. And that was another thing I had to deal with. The third thing um, was I wanted to please everyone and I was really guilty when something didn't go right. So, you know, I'd, I'd play a game of football and and, you know, someone might say, oh, you know, he's pretty useless. And I'd worry about that. So mm. I, you know, I had this imposter syndrome. Then I had this guilt and worry and uh, wanting to be liked, right? And then, then the last one was I was a prolific warrior. And uh, one of the things I built in, the, in Mentor Me or the app was what I call a worry map. So I used to worry about everything and most of those things I couldn't control. So, you know, those those are pretty serious sharks on top of each other and I just had to deal with them, get the tools and techniques to keep yeah. them at bay um, so that I could stay well. So when I talk about my sharks, you know, <laughs> and when I stand up in front of people and talk about my sharks, people can then say, oh, yeah, I've got a shark. I say, yeah. that's cool. Just deal with it, you know, rather than. keep it internalized it's a really interesting analogy and i mean something you said before if i go back a little bit um how important is it to have that resonation like the resonation i don't know if that's a word but to be able to resonate with the professional mental health professional you're dealing with yeah i think that's really really fundamental um you know and i think keep trying until you find someone who, who you connect with I think it's really, really important. And I, I think this is a massive issue, and this is one of the reasons why we've created Mentimea, because we also think that you know, digital well-being is a big part of the future. Yeah. The most important thing for me is awareness, understanding that it's normal, getting everyone to realize that they've got mental health as well as physical health, and then the tools and techniques that you need to help. But identifying, and I think some people always want to go to a, to a human, um, and I think that's really important. So connect, connection in life, and connection in life is fundamental to your mental health, yeah. right? And I and I talk to a whole lot of youth, and I say, look, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the other stuff they're on is connection, but it's not whole connection. You also need physical connection. You need people in your lives that love and care for you. You need to be able to connect in different ways. So. You know, I'm not saying that Facebook and all that stuff is a bad thing, but it's only a, a part of how you need to connect. So connecting with someone who understands you, like Dr. Louise Armstrong, mm-hmm. instead of the, the volcano guy, was fundamental for me because yeah. she put it into my language, she simplified it, yeah. and then she gave me the tools and techniques to get well. And that's life-changing. Yeah. 
Tell us as we go back to uh, your your career with rugby. I mean, it was the the culture. I mean, it wasn't just rugby, but it's probably in society and the and in the community. But the toughen up, harden up. I mean, is that that's what you were growing up with? That's the way things were back then. Um, is that is that right? Like harden up. We don't talk about emotions, yep, totally. that sort of thing. Yeah, one of the one of the first people I sort of opened up to told me to harden up. We're still great mates now, um, but when I reached out, they told me to harden up. That that you know, that yeah. was pretty devastating at the time. And we we still talk about it. He said, "Jack, I didn't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just I just replied in a stereotypical sort of way. Because yeah. some people, when they don't know what to say, they will go back to uh, stereotypical things like that. Harden up, you know, don't be soft. Whereas that is just bullshit. But we didn't know any different because, like I said, one of the important things for me is is educating people around us. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean that's not his fault. I mean it's just a, it's an environment that he would have grown up with. And you, like you said, I mean, how do you have that conversation when someone says that to you? Uh, and that's something that we still need to do a lot of work on. I think you'd agree. Um, yeah, look, I think this is really interesting, and this is why I, I don't think we need to be the experts. And I know it's really, really difficult right now for people in business, right? And I say to people in business, you don't need to be the expert, but you do need to be sympathetic. You do need to listen, and you do need to have a pathway for your people, right? So some of the biggest mistakes we make is thinking we have to have the answers, especially if it's not our if it's not our thing, you know, like I, I say to, I say to this, I, I say this, would you, you know, I'm a butcher, right? You know, would you let me fix your car? <laughs> mm. Probably not that, eh? you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. what I'm saying is, yeah, is what I'm saying is that the, 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 the businesses of today need to have a fantastic mental well-being um, program. They need to really look after their people but they need to have people within the organisation that can know what to do and know what to say. Now, if someone presents to you and you're and you're not um, equipped for this, that's okay. All you need to do is go. Oh, let's go down. Oh, here's here's uh, Mary or Bob. Uh, you know, they're upskilled in in in, um, in mental mental health first aid or yes. whatever. You know, yeah. and walk with them because I think what a lot of people try and do is they try and have the answers and often they reflect the answers on their experience, which yeah. can be really different to the person that you're talking to. So, you know, I, I, I think that's, I think the conversations need to be had. Mental health needs to be open and honest and no stigma around it because the biggest problem in the, in the workplace is a lot of people fear that if they talk about their mental health, it will hinder their career or, you know, um, well, hinder their promotion chances and, the and stigma, all that sort of stuff. And the stigma within the workplace stigma within the workplace. That's what we need to get rid of. But also some of the great businesses that I work with that have understood that this is the future of business yeah. as far as they're concerned, you know, a really key thing is, you know, they, they realize that you don't, you know, you don't have to be the expert, but you do have to have a solid plan and an understanding so that people could be open and honest about it. And mate, it wasn't too long ago. Do you remember the adage when you got to the front door of the workplace? It was like, well, leave your personal stuff at home. When you come in, you switch on and do your job. Um, I mean, that's yeah, just, exactly. 
I mean, that's. Just... I just don't believe in that anymore. I don't believe yeah. in work-life balance anymore. I believe in life. Yeah. Um, and like I said to you, business of the future, if they're not prepared to understand that, and they want people to leave, um, you know, the their, their half themselves at the front door, you know, they're not going to be connected to the business. And I think, you know, I love the millennials. People say, oh, you know, they're so demanding. And I say, exactly, and they should be, you know. So I think the people yeah. who are coming through are going to be demanding mental well-being and mental health and no stigma attached to it. JK, if we go back to when you first uh, spoke out about your mental health, uh, you mentioned you told your family um, and obviously you sought help with, from, from your doctor. And Tell us about some of the challenges um, and I guess some of this, was there some self-stigma to a degree um, about about coming out? I mean, this is the mid-90s. I mean, mental health is not something that was spoke about uh, outwardly. Um, tell us about some of those challenges um, and and how you found you overcame those. Well, I hit it, right? That's the first problem. I totally hit it from everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was that was the hardest part, and plus the understanding. So, I mean, one of the greatest things I learned was the science of the mind, right? Now, as you know, I'm not easy to, I can't even spell, but once someone simplified it for me and started talking about, you know, fight and flight and the amygdala and, Yep. And, and all the all the adrenalines and all the stuff that goes through your mind, I'm starting to think, wow, you know, here's, here's the same guy, right, that'll put 400 milligrams down his gob um, to play footy on the weekend because I'm battered, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, I was totally ignoring the science of the brain and some of the things that happen when, you're, when you've got stress and anxiety. And the interesting thing is, um, to create Mentimere, I went out and interviewed over three, we went out and interviewed over three and a half thousand people, right? And stress and anxiety is a new norm. Yeah. But what saddens me is people are sort of wearing it like a badge of honour. It's not a badge of honour, man. Like, you know, 800,000 people committed suicide last year around the world. We've got a couple of pandemics going on. We've got COVID, but we've also got, you know, uh, suicide. And that, that, that whole sort of understanding of stress and anxiety in your body all the time without standing it down is incredibly harmful. If it doesn't come out mentally, it's going to come out physically. So I think, you know, the, the whole journey of understanding your mind and then understanding what suits you, right? So so some of the other interesting things in the Western world is there's some, like I spoke about it before, meditation, um, you know, meditation and yoga and all those things. And they are fantastic, don't get me wrong. But they weren't for me. Yeah. But when I first started doing it, it was like it was it was like I'd failed if I hadn't done it. Like yeah. if I couldn't achieve it. And that's and look, I'm pretty sure that if I you know, if I if I really dedicated more time I could probably get really good at it. But I don't have that time. So it doesn't suit my lifestyle. And I think those things the understanding of the science in the brain, but then um, no pressure, and this is where the people who helped me were really good, no pressure on what, finding out what suits you. Yeah. And I think going on that journey with no stigma attached, because for the first two years, I didn't understand my mind, I didn't understand Bob the monkey, and I didn't understand you know, a whole lot of other things about myself. And once I understood, and once I found things that were really good for me and quite simple, then I formulated a daily mental health plan. And that daily mental health plan 
keeps me thriving today. And people say to me, oh, JK, what's thriving? You know, are you happy all the time? I say, well, no, I'm not happy all the time. But when I wake up or, you know, like, for example, in lockdown, the other night I was incredibly angry, yeah. right? So I said, stuff this. I don't want to do this shit again. And, you know, I had all like, frustration and anger. And, you know, I just realized that that's a normal human emotion. That's okay to feel like that. Um, but what tools do I have that can actually, you know, change the way I'm feeling? So I did my worry map and realized that, you know, there's things that I can control and things that I can't control. So the things that I could control, I just started to work on. And then, um, you know, I felt better. And then I took a little bit more care of myself. And, and you know, I'm feeling really at peace with myself at the moment. So that's cool. But that tools and techniques that you need, right? Yeah, uh, mate. It's uh, and I'm and I'm keen to talk about all of those techniques that you're doing uh, in a second. If you go to when you when you learnt that you uh, that what you had uh, was a condition and it wasn't something that was going to put you in a straitjacket and and ship you off somewhere. And I mean, it, did that? Um, it, you're someone who, when you have something or you put your mind to something, you want to be the best at it. So. Was it simply when when you had this condition? Were you saying, "Well, I don't want to simply manage what I have. I want to be the best at being mentally healthy and well." Is that the sort of mindset that you took to it? And was that straight away, or was it something that gained momentum over time? Um, so the first thing, the first thing that I had to do was, uh, and I use this word a lot, make peace with, make peace with it. So the tide. So when you're in it. A minute feels like an hour, an hour feels like a day, and a day feels like a week. So you're incredibly tired fighting this thing in your mind, right? So the first thing I had to do, and I was scared to stop fighting because I thought if I stopped fighting, I might do something stupid, yeah. like jump out the window or something like that. So it was this perpetual negative sort of cycle. And so the first thing I did is I said, okay, I'm going to accept it as an illness. I'm not going to give up but I'm going to accept it. So as part of that acceptance, then the second stage was, okay, I'm going to be the All Blacks of this illness. I'm going to be great at it. Whatever that looks like, mm. I'm going to be great at it, right? And then I started saying, I am not going to worry. I'm going to try everything I can possible. I mean, getting back to the, to the tight hamstring thing, I knew that alcohol wasn't the answer because I tried that when I was unwell used to get absolutely bloody hammered. And I actually got some relief. But then the next day I'd go back for at 100 miles an hour. So I knew that wasn't the answer. So what I wanted to do was try things that I felt would give me that peace that I wanted um, on a daily basis. Mm. That took me about six years. Wow. Okay. So, and it's something that you want to master, right? Because like you said, as an all black, you want to be the best at your position at what you do and contribute to the team as best you can um, and and play at that level. But you're saying with regards to mental health, you thought, well, why can't I do the same thing? Yeah, exactly. And, I, and, and you know, when I say it took me six years, you know, I, I got immediate relief and understanding and you know, felt that I was moving forward. Sometimes I'd take two steps forward and one step back, but I always, and that, and I often say to people today, you know, sometimes that 
that one step back can be quite devastating, but you're actually moving forward. And so, you know, I got instant relief. Some of the fear started getting taken out of it. I started having less um, sort of suicide ideations. I started to understand my mind and I started heading towards, um, you know, where I, where I feel I'm at, I am today, which is, like I said, you know, thriving. Yeah. If we go to mental health now in general, uh, I mean, mental health uh, as far as uh, I know you've spoken of likening it to having the flu and going to, you know, get some rest, take some tablets um, and and do some things that would actually help you uh, alleviate the symptoms of having a flu. Tell us about the um, the off switch and, and how important this is to disconnect. Yeah, so uh, really interesting. Um so we, uh, we're doing all these interviews, right? And people keep saying to me, you know, JK, my mind's on a treadmill. How do you stop it, right? Um, and I say, well, you know, you need to learn it. And I say things like, when your computer craps out, what do you do? Unplug. You know, you ring the IT guy, and he normally says, switch it on <laughs> and switch it off again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 98% of the time it works, right? Yeah. So we get more inputs in one day than you got in a lifetime of our grandparents, right? So our minds are always, always on the go, always receiving information. And what we need to do is to be able to turn that computer off and turn it back on, right? But what I also say is you need to do that multiple times on a daily basis to stay well because you know i say to people i, I get a, do you get emails at 11 o'clock at night i would if i sat there and, and looked at them i think i would yes for sure yeah exactly do you work on sunday mornings yes you do right so we all we our lives have changed but we are still taking a traditional approach to replenishing our energy levels and stuff and what i'm saying is that you need to look after your daily mental health on a daily basis. You need to unplug and replug that, that that computer in five or six times a day because it's getting so much information. You know, when was the last time you sat down in the cafe and just had a coffee without looking at your phone? You know, when was the last time you you were you were Van Morrison in the car instead of returning phone calls? Yeah. So little times like that are really really important in our lives. There's this beautiful Maori saying that says, if you want to have faith and hope in the future, you must first stand on the shoulders of the past. Why do our parents have morning tea and afternoon tea? To sit down with some quiet time. Yeah, to just stop for a minute. Now, disconnect, right? And they were lucky. So our parents used to go home at 5 o'clock at night and they'd go back to work at 7 o'clock in the morning. They'd go home on the weekend and go back to work on Monday morning. Nothing would follow them. Now everything follows us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got it 24-7. So we just need to, and that's okay. I think, you know, I think like, you know, I, I believe that technology is the problem and the, and the answer, you yeah. know. So I don't, I don't want to stop it. If you want to, if you want to work at 11 o'clock at night, that's really cool. But just make sure that you're looking after yourself and having a sleep in and getting whatever that looks like, right? Yeah. JK, you mentioned a number of times uh, in other interviews about the importance of your routine with the shower and actually being present 
in the shower uh, and obviously and also you, you have the coffee after it but tell us about like in today's society we just spoke about being so busy with things following you everywhere how do you be present because it's, yeah, well, it's, like it's we, uh, we don't do it yeah, often totally no totally and it is it is totally something that needs to be learned so I mean, it's called mindfulness, which is a very famous word, but I, I just call it living in the present. And what happened was, you know, I was, I was dead emotionally. And I went and saw my mum and she said to me, you know, you can start again um, and you need to smell the roses. And I thought, well, what's smelling the roses for me? Mm. And I thought, and I had nothing to look forward to saying like I was in a bad way. So I thought, okay, I'm going to enjoy a shower every single day and I'm going to feel the water and I'm going to live in that moment, right? Because most of us when we're in the shower are either thinking about the future or thinking about the past. Mm. Whereas the shower for me is the most amazing moment. Now, it took a bit of training just to concentrate on the water, right? But I started really looking forward to that and it was just this amazing and still is just this amazing moment in my day. So if you start thinking about living in the present, so then I did what what I call habit stacking, right? So positive habit stacking. We do negative, <laughs> we do negative stacking, right? So you know when you have a wine or a couple of beers, you open a packet of chips, right? Yeah. <laughs> you smash them up, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of how I laugh about it. It's not a, it's not a negative that. I mean you can enjoy it, but you know sometimes um, we negative habit stack. And what I tried to do was positively have it stack. So then after the shower, I come downstairs and I make myself a, uh, a coffee in the mocha and I sit there and have it without the phone. And then I start my day. There's another few things I do. So I walk incredibly slowly, right? Because what's happened with all this technology is we're speeding up and we're trying to get from A to B a lot quicker. Time has been taken away from us just because of society. So... I walk very slowly. And when you walk slowly, what happens is you see people and see things, right? You hear birds in the trees. You just slow your life down. And you get there about 45 seconds late, right? Yeah. I breathe deeply. And I, once again, I have it stacked. So um, when, I, when I get tense, it goes into my shoulders. So I start crunching my shoulders. So I breathe very deeply to the bottom of my um, you know, um, stomach, and I'm, I know how to breathe, and I've learned how to breathe, and I love breathing. So every time I hop in the car, I breathe very deeply, and then my shoulders drop, and I just enjoy the moment in the car. Another thing that I do is, if I'm very busy, I make phone calls, but I don't make phone calls for the whole time, and then I pretend I'm Van Morrison. Or <laughs> actually, yesterday I was Pearl Jam. I was bloody good too, man. To tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it'd be, it'd be good um, driving past you mid Pearl Jam song. Would be great. Uh, <laughs> and then um, what else I do in my day is I always have something to look forward to, um, and that can be something you know pretty pretty small. So um, I'm really looking forward to actually cooking tonight. So I've got a uh, chicken dish that I'm going to be doing, so I'm really looking forward to that. So that is also what I call two birds with one stone. So I do a lot of things for my mental health that are two birds with one stone. So two birds with one stone is I love cooking because Bob sits in his cage with a banana, right? (laughs) 
So he's not active. Yep. He's resting. And I'm enjoying that moment, right? Also, who do you think, who else do you think loves it? Well, I think your family would love it. Exactly. My wife loves it. <laughs> so that's two birds with one stone, right? Yeah. So I'm looking after my mental health. I'm, dis- I'm disconnecting the computer and also my wife and family are happy. Another thing that I do is we've got a dog. Well, it's not really a dog. He thinks he's a dog, but he's not really. I yep. call him head of security. He's a Bichon tree. Um, but, you know, I go for a walk with the dog with my wife. That's two birds with one stone. Dog's happy, reconnect with my wife, doing something physical. Yeah. Um, and then I always finish the day by reading. Um, so reading's really important for me, especially when I um, – you know, when, when I want to sleep properly, because if I read for 20 minutes or 30 minutes before I go to sleep, then I actually, my brain rests a lot better and I don't wake up tired. Mm. And then obviously since COVID, I've taken up the guitar. So I also um, put in some guitar practice, which is, which I'm really, really enjoying. Like I said, I'm terrible at it, but the other good thing about me today is to take the expectation, expectation away. Life teaches us a lot of time to be you know, good or bad at something. Whereas it's really good just to do things for, you know, for your mental health. And so I've added, I've added a couple of things just lately that I'm trying. And one of those is a guitar. JK, as you, as you're mentioning all these things, uh, it reminds me of a quote, uh, a gentleman, a mentor of mine in business once told me, simple things done consistently lead to extraordinary results. And although all those things you mentioned, I mean, even the shower, like it's so, simple but it's it's such a distinction between being in the shower and having the drops on you but thinking about it and being present it's so so slight but the power and the impact uh is so so different well i think that sam that's the most amazing thing people say to me jk is this difficult and i say look i think habitual change is difficult but if you enjoy something, right? And that doesn't mean that sometimes when I'm busy, I don't need to remind myself to feel the water. But once you get habitual change and start feeling the positivity of it, it's a lot easier. Mm. I mean, one of the things about Mentor Mia is a lot of this information, as you would know, Sam, is out there, but it's as boring as batshit, right? What we wanted to do was to deliver it in an incredibly engaging way and also create easy habitual change. Right, and we're all different. That's what I'm saying. What might work for me might not work for you. You know, you might be fantastic at meditation, but unless you do that meditation on a consistent basis, it's you're not going to get the benefits. You know, a mate of mine came around the other day, and he said to me, "Oh, Jack, I'm going to pump, man. I'm stressed, and I'm, you know, this and that." And I said, "Well, what do you love doing?" You know, one of the questions you've asked me, "What do you love doing?" He said, yeah. oh, "I love playing golf." And, and I said, "When was the last time you played golf?" He said, three weeks ago." <laughs> I said, "Well, you know." You need more than you need more than those things in uh, you know in your life. You need you need to have multiple things in your life where you unplug the computer. It's so true, uh, so powerful though as well. Um, if I just want to talk about this, uh, the power of being vulnerable uh, and someone who's put himself certainly in that position, um, and also sh- it's okay to cry and emotionally being able to to be vulnerable. Tell me how. Um, how it's a strength. Um, I think that I, I wrote a book 
called Stand By Me, where I um, where I spoke to a whole lot of child because I wanted to parent mental health better. Yeah. And so um, when I spoke to a couple of the psychiatrists, and they and I said, okay, what do I need to do to parent this? And they said, well, um, you need to you need to um, sit down and have dinner every night. I said, oh yeah, I can do that. And the second thing you need to do is you need to be vulnerable at the dinner table. And you go, whoa, vulnerable. And so we don't have to cry the first night, but you have to start talking about some of the vulnerabilities in your life. Because if you start talking about vulnerability, what does it give all those around you the permission to do? It gives them the permission to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. So I think um, I, I had to learn how to cry because when I cried when I was really unwell, as soon as I'd finished crying and felt better, then I felt like shit because it was failure because I got told I wasn't allowed to cry as a young male. That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Now, as a young male, if you fall over, you need to be tough, right? So physically tough, but emotionally, you should be able to cry because suppressing crying is, is a really bad thing to do with your emotion. Same with anger. Yeah, anger's okay as long as you do something positive with it, not something negative. So I think I think vulnerability is actually one of the biggest strengths you can have because no one can take your ability away for what you do, right? Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. People ask me to come and do motivational speeches. So I'm sitting in a room with 200 people, right, yep. who are already motivated. Like <laughs> they get up in the morning, they go to work, they look after their family, they bring money in, you know, there might be some women in the room that are juggling families and jobs and all that sort of shit. They don't need motivation. They're the, they're the pinnacle of motivation. What they need to be able to do is be vulnerable when they need to be and then have the little things around them that will care for them. Yeah. And I think vulnerability is the biggest strength we can have. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and something that you've definitely been doing and something that people admire a lot about you, JK. Tell us about the culture of sport, um, I guess, to a certain degree as it relates to, to males and, and, you know, the expectations, I guess, that they have of themselves. Um, and, I mean, do you feel like compared to in the day when you were playing, do you feel like the culture is getting better as, as it relates to mental health and that vulnerability? Yes. Yes, I think the culture is getting better. I think... You know, in every form, these young athletes are absolutely amazing. I just think there's way more pressure on them um, because of the world at the moment. So incredible pressure on them socially. Um, anyone can comment on your life and how you play without taking your feelings into regard. Success is, um, you know, a lofty, uh, money capitalism driven yeah. objective. <laughs> yeah. So we see we see success as as you know big contracts, big cars, and we also think that that brings happiness. So there's a hell of a lot of pressure on the modern athlete, but I think they do an incredible job. I think they are starting to understand and learn a whole lot more about um, you know mental well being, and and so that's fantastic because we need you know, the heroes of today to be vulnerable and talk about their mental health because it's not a weakness, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that they're getting better. I, well, I think everyone's getting better, Sam. Our problem is, and once again, 
one of the reasons why I want to do the JK Foundation and why Mentoneer is so important to me at the moment is I think the awareness is there, but we just haven't simplified the tools and techniques to keep ourselves well. Yeah. To, and let's go to Mentoneer because I want to talk about this. Um, this is, I mean, this is a tool that's available worldwide now. Is that correct? Uh, Australia and New Zealand. So we were. Okay. Um, yeah, we were. We don't want the end user to pay. So what happened was, we were, we were. Uh, you know, uh, we wanted to deliver um, a world class, world changing, engaging mental health, mental wellness, mental fitness tool to the workplace. Yes. Um, paid by business, so that you can give it to your people, and then part of the AI within the within the uh, learnings of the app, it'll get to know you. We wanted to deliver all those tools and techniques that you're talking about and bite-sized people that engage. What happened was during COVID, um, or just before COVID, um, we sat down as a business and said, look, we think this is coming because I had family in Italy. We should give it to our country. And then very quickly we decided we should also give it to you know our Australian brothers and sisters. So we gave it away for free. In New Zealand, um, the Ministry of Health and Robin Shearer got in behind it very quickly. We had Kiwi Bank and Westpac yeah. supported as well so that we could get it out there. Um, so you can download it now. It's on in Australia, so you can download it and um, have a bit of a play with it. And really what we wanted to do is make sure that we deliver you know, everyday mental health to the people who need it right now in this really special time. And so it's like having a coach in your hand. It's something that that uh, gives you tools and, and uh, daily habits that help promote wellness, uh, mental health and well-being. Is that correct? Correct. And that's exactly what we want to do. So it's a fitness coach in your pocket, um, but it's about you. So you know, there's all these tools and techniques you can go and search and understand, get some understanding around how you work. Um, there's a personality test and, and um, you know, the worry map. Uh, we've got some, you know, we've got a, you know, we've just got a new music um, uh, thing in there that will help you sleep and relax. So there's a whole lot of different things that you can try. And then for us, it's important that, and it still is a, you know, there's still is a business, so, we we uh, you know we do have some other things in the business reporting yeah. and all that sort of stuff just in general so that you know if there's anything wrong within the business and and so for us you know it is about delivering that daily mental health we want to help hundreds of millions of people um, hence is why we gave it to New Zealand and Australia so download it off the Apple Store or off um, Google and then you can. Just have a play. And it's not just for people that have mental ill health. Like I, I can see how it would be a tool for that, but it's actually a, a really good prevention tool and largely probably the intention of why it was created. Sam, that's exactly why we did it because I was a lot of our mental health is ambulance at the bottom of the yeah. right? And I know some people are born with mental health and, and, and will have to live with it. And that is, you know, there's a lot of great work going on within that and I'm sure they'll get some, um, possibly get some help out from Mentoneer, but ours was actually about everyday people, everybody, every day. You know, we wanted to put a fence around the top of the cliff and then move that fence back, right? So I think this is how I say it, right? Like if, if I had have known these tools and techniques before, would I have been pushed off the cliff? And my answer is no. I would have had a better understanding um, 
you know, and I would have been having the tools and techniques that I believe would have kept me away from the cliff. And I think that's what well-being is all about. If stress and anxiety is the new norm, yeah. that's going to come out. So if you can have the tools and techniques to get you through, then, you know, that's what we want to do. I just want to touch quickly on the, uh, as before we ran for home, uh, the JK Foundation, you, you mentioned you raised $1.2 million f- uh, for that, and it's really all about getting some sort of educational platform and awareness platform into schools. I mean, the mental health uh, awareness for kids is absolutely critical. Yeah. So what we've done is um, for 12 months, we facilitated teachers, headmasters, child psychiatrists, people from the business world. Parents? And we, yep, parents, yep. kids, went out to schools, everybody. Um, and we facilitated it for a year to find out what was the best path forward. And we broke down into educating our ch- children, letting them understand the IQ of mental health, so the science and what it is, but also the EQ, which is some solutions and some methods and some tools and techniques. So we uh, have commissioned the University of Auckland. They have come up with a curriculum model. The other thing that's really important that, that the school said to me, we don't want any more pressure on our resource, either human or financial, right? So that was really, yeah. really important. So we need to make sure that, that we do that. And um, and the other thing is that we believe that we need to supply it for nothing and it needs to be really engaging. So, you know, we, we, we've put it together. They've come up with a model. We are going to into schools um, this term. So we're going for schools. The other thing that was really important for this group of people was to co-design it. Because if you yeah. go to, a, I don't know, in Australia, Sam, do you have decile schools? We have decile one to 10. Um, um, is, that, is, that what, so 10, is that what that means? Just goes from one to ten. The school, yeah, and, and yeah, and one is really struggling, so they have all sorts of different things going on within the school. And ten is good finances, good school, blah blah blah. So it's no use me going into a school uh, in South Auckland, for example, that has a, probably a higher Maori or Pacifica, and not co-designing it for them, yeah. right? Because one, one size doesn't fit all, right? So we need to be able to go in and then co-design it with the school, with the basics in place, and then deliver it for that school. So we're doing our trials next month. Um, wow. And then we'll just uh, hopefully keep rolling it out. Mate, it's coming at a critical time. I mean, with COVID and everything going on, I mean, in New Zealand, are you seeing some, uh, I know you've had the joy of having 102 days without the, uh, the, the pandemic, but... Were you seeing some mental health challenges, uh, suicide rates going up, depression, anxiety rates going up uh, during the pandemic? No, during the pandemic, it was really interesting because during the pandemic, it was a, people were very stoic and getting through it, right? So it was this adrenaline-fueled, um, adrenaline-fueled sort of, we can do this together, but the post, um, we've seen an increase. So they yeah. say that it's going to have a long tail. I think the second the second lockdown just you know we've only been in it a few days, but there yeah there's heightened anxiety, fear, frustration, anger, uh, way more prevalent than the first time. Yeah. So you know that's what we're sort of living over here. And that isolation. I mean, you are in the position where your wife's still uh, in Italy, uh, looking after her parents, uh, and you being in New Zealand. Did you say your son was in New Zealand with you? 
Uh, my daughter is daughter. in New Zealand with me and my youngest son. And my middle son is in Italy. He's a professional footballer. In, in well, He's a professional footballer in New Zealand. Uh, sorry, in, in Italy. In Italy. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, I have three sporty children. My daughter is a uh, New Zealand volleyball champ. My oh. little son is a professional footballer. And my young son rose for New Zealand under 23. So they're all sporty. Wow! No rugby players, though. <laughs> but you know what? I, you know, I watched something the way you said. Um, you know, do you hope your son turns out to be an All Black? And you said, if he wants to be an All Black, um, no. If he doesn't want to be an All Black, then I don't care. If he wants to be an All Black, um, then they have to be willing to do the work and try hard. Um, and so that trying is really important if they want that outcome. Uh, I thought that was really, really interesting, um, but really, really cool because. There is no pressure for them to be amazing sports people. Yeah, I think, like for me, I try and encourage failure. We don't have failure in our dictionary in New Zealand, yeah. in our house. Um, you know, for us, for me, failure is not trying. So I've said that to all my three kids. I don't, you know, playing sport and being competitive is not about being an all black or being the best in the world or winning Olympic golds and that sort of stuff. It's understanding how good you can be. And I always believe that if you get there, and like my son at the moment is playing in the third division as a professional, and I said, you know, you've got to keep trying, And if, but if that's your level, that's an incredibly honourable thing to do because you had a crack. And when, you get, when you're an old bastard like me and you look back on your life, you go, I reached my potential. Our yeah. potential doesn't always have to be, all black. you know, I was lucky because my potential was I made the All Blacks, but it doesn't have to be, right? It doesn't have to be all that, you know? And I think that's the pressure of modern world and why a lot of our clubs are struggling, you know, because people have this perception, but sport's for life, you know? Sport's about camaraderie, it's about friends, and, you know, it's about going to Italy and you'll find a rugby club and, in a couple of days, you know? Yeah. Mate, reaching potential, that's such an interesting distinction, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, everyone's potential isn't that level, and and that's okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So failure for me is yeah. is not well, giving up before you actually understand what your potential is. And yeah. if your potential is C division, B division, amateur, whatever, think about the things that it gives you. It gives you teammates it gives you camaraderie it pushes you to be motivated you know it gives you so much more um than than a whole lot of other things that you do in life and i just think that the professional sport in the modern era has taken the focus a little bit away yeah. from from actually just reaching your potential whatever that is yeah and understanding what that definition means to you um because it's different. Exactly. For Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Yeah. As as I ran for for the home straight, JK, uh, some just some questions I have for you. The future. What does it hold for you? Um, what have you got planned coming up? I, I know you mentioned the JK Foundation and the really cool stuff that you got coming up that you're excited about. But what else is uh, what else is coming up for you in the future? Um, I I don't look too far into the future, so I have some I have some sort of goals and then I leave them. So um, I really live on a daily basis. But my goals for the future are to help hundreds of millions of people uh, with Mentimeter worldwide. I want to create um, a great curriculum for the schools and 
the result of those two things, I'm hoping that we will have the best mental health stats in the developed world rather than one of the worst. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that there'll be a whole lot more people that will step into this space and younger people of different ethnic and cultural backgrounds that will start stepping up so it becomes the norm. Um, I think my other goals is I want to surf a whole lot more. <laughs> I'd like to get really good at the guitar so that I have music in me, but I've never been able to express it. So I'd like to be able to express it through an instrument. So there are a couple of personal goals. Um, I want to keep building and growing my relationship, especially you know with my wife and my kids, because I think that's a never-ending uh, thing that we should work on. Uh, I've got a couple of um, business things with, with my daughter, so we have a little wine company that I that I'm encouraging her to to expand and and try and be the best that they can be, and yeah, just just enjoy every day along the way. You know, don't lose sight of the most important thing that I can do is be great today. That's that's really uh, really succinct answer and a great answer. Just on that winery, is that in New Zealand or is that over in Italy, growing with prosecco or something like that? What yeah, no, we we, uh, we import um, Italian wines into New Zealand under a JK14 logo, oh, wow. and we go and select the wines from friends uh, friends of ours who have vineyards in in, um, in Italy. Yeah, so that's a lot of fun. Wow. We Italians believe in uh, family business, so yes. we're trying to build a little family business for all of us. That's but great. At the moment, it's just my daughter doing all the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, man, that's uh, that's really interesting. Uh, one other question: uh, Some of those answers you already gave me may contribute to this, but what does success mean to you? How many bastards carry out when you die? Wow. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and I learned that from my dad, right? Because I went and saw him when he was unwell once, yeah. and he was an amazing man. When he died, there was about eight hundred people um, at his funeral, but also when he died. Um, about 30 people said, would you like me to carry your dad out? And dad always said to me, and I asked him, and I said, dad, what a success. And he said that. He said to me, boy, how many bastards want to carry out when you die? He said, there's no, he said, there's no use having the flashes car in the car park of the cemetery. <laughs> wow. What, and, what, um, what a wise guy. Yeah. What, yeah, not bad for a guy who spent 50 years in a butcher shop, eh? Mate, it's uh, I mean that I mean that that upbringing though. I mean that would have been something special to help shape you. And I mean, because you you worked from an early age. I mean that that's, uh, I mean, very lucky in a lot of respects to be able to have that. And that's another really important thing to think about, Sam. I'm grateful every day. Yeah. And when I was really unwell, I wasn't grateful. And I remember someone saying to me, you know, look for things to be grateful about. And I and I did. Um, go through a period of writing three things down a day that I could be grateful for. Um, and I still do that mentally, you know, and I'm really grateful. And, and like this, this is really interesting because some people say, well, why would you be depressed? Right? Well, yeah. what's wrong with you? What a life you've had. And I said, yeah, exactly. It's not prejudice. <laughs> yeah. You know, mental health's not prejudice, man. It doesn't Rich, discriminate. Poor, does not discriminate and, yeah. and you know I think that's really really important to understand I think some people's background um, put them into a situation where mental health 
you know, they could be more susceptible to mental health, but it is not prejudice. And so, you know, but I think also, you know, just think about what you can be really, um, you know, joyful for and, and grateful for, you know, like we're in lockdown and I'm just really grateful that we've got food and uh, I've got my kids around me. I haven't got my wife and my little son, but I've got my two kids with me and, yeah. you know, we're going to sit down for a meal tonight and how good is that? That is to be thankful for. Mate, well, uh, and the last question I have for you, and and that was beautifully put, by the way, but um, future challenges for mental health. Suicide rates have already spoken about being too high uh, and we need to do more there. What do you see um, as being some key challenges coming up uh, for mental health, ill health even? Yeah, I think think there's three things. Educating our children to understand it and then giving them the coping tools. Uh, we teach them English, math, and science, but we don't teach them um, mental health. So we need to do that. Uh, the second thing is we need to continue the dialogue and delivering mental well-being into the workplace. And businesses of the future, I believe, will take responsibility and really drive it home as a key business point of view. I think the third thing is we need to work a whole lot harder in understanding the modern world. I think technology has accelerated past our ability to understand how our youth live and what their perceptions are. For example, I say this. My dad and I were probably a generation apart. I couldn't get up too much shit because he knew because he'd already done it, right? Going to drive the car without a license, going to smoke behind the shed, going to try and steal his purse. Sneak out from from Um, home. (laughs) Yeah, all that sort of shit, right? Um, Steelers, fags, whatever that is. But at the end of the day, um, I think I'm five generations detached from my son. I don't really understand the world that he lives in and the pressures that he's under. So, you know, how do you now parent that? So I think there needs to be a whole re-education and an acceleration of our understanding about the pressures on our youngsters. And I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, yeah, and I think there's also some political stuff. I think that uh, you know politicians worldwide need to stop um, taking you know the, the 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 opposition or the the right and the left and argue every single point. When I think governments in the past have come up with some great ideas that we actually need to agree on and leave yeah. them as um, things for, that are good for society, I'm getting a little bit upset with opposition attacking you know the the, the, the current government because they think they have to because it's they're in the opposition I think people are a little bit fed up to that so I think politics worldwide needs to um, go through some change yes yes well you sense the really uh, really important things there and um, and let's hope that we still advance uh, with our approaches to mental health, spread the word and the awareness and, and you're definitely doing that with the uh, JK Foundation and Mentimia. How, how do people get hold of Mentimia? They just go to mentimia.nz? Yeah, yeah .com. com. And, yeah. But also they, they can just um, go to the app stores, okay. both the um, – Google Play Store and uh, and the App Store. You can download it right now. So just go download, register, and away you go. 
Well, JK, uh, humbled and honoured is something you describe being an all-black uh, and being knighted. Uh, it's definitely some words I would use to describe to be able to have this discussion with you today. Is there anything that you want to say in closing that we haven't touched on or anything in closing that you want to mention? No, mate, I just, just thank you very much. It's you know humbling for me that you want to talk to me and I just think the last message is you know, let's look after your mental health on a daily basis. Um, one thing I also talk about is if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Um, you know, that. so when some of the issues, when some of the issues come, like you know, Black Lives Matter, the yeah. first thing I had to do was look inside myself to see whether I had any prejudice or anything like that. And you know, I think if we're going to change this world, then it needs to start within these within these doors. So if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And I need to change before I challenge anyone else to change. A beautiful phrase uh, from a, an inspiring and a great person. JK, thanks very much for your time and thanks for sharing those insights today and keep up that leadership uh, uh, that you're doing out there and all the great work. So thanks very much. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure, mate. Enjoy. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.